Helaman Hansen promised hundreds of non-citizens a path to U.S. citizenship through adult adoption. But that was a scam. Though there is no path to citizenship through adult adoption, Hansen earned nearly $2 million from his scheme. The United States charged Hansen with, among other things, violating a federal law which forbids encouraging or inducing an alien to come to, enter, or reside in the United States, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that such activity is or will be in violation of law. Hansen was convicted and moved to dismiss the charges on First Amendment overbreadth grounds. The district court rejected Hansen's argument, but the Ninth Circuit concluded that the clause in question was unconstitutionally overbroad. But yesterday, the Supreme Court held that because the statute's relevant clause forbids only the purposeful solicitation and facilitation of specific acts known to violate federal law, it is not unconstitutionally overbroad. And now, the June 23, 2023 opinion of the court in United States v. Hansen. Justice Barrett delivered the opinion of the court in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Alito, Kagan, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh joined. Justice Thomas filed a concurring opinion. Justice Jackson filed a dissenting opinion in which Justice Sotomayor joined. A federal law prohibits encouraging or inducing illegal immigration. After concluding that this statute criminalizes immigration advocacy and other protected speech, the Ninth Circuit held it unconstitutionally overbroad under the First Amendment. That was error. Properly interpreted, this provision forbids only the intentional solicitation or facilitation of certain unlawful acts. It does not prohibit a substantial amount of protected speech, let alone enough to justify throwing out the law's plainly legitimate sweep. We reverse. Part 1. In 2014, Mana Nailadi, a citizen of Fiji, heard that he would become a U.S. citizen through an adult adoption program run by Helaman Hansen. Eager for citizenship, Nailadi flew to California to pursue the program. Hansen's wife told Nailadi that adult adoption was the quickest and easiest way to get citizenship here in America. For $4,500, Hansen's organization would arrange Nailadi's adoption, and he could then inherit U.S. citizenship from his new parent. Nailadi signed up. It was too good to be true. There is no path to citizenship through adult adoption, so Nailadi waited for months with nothing to show for it. Faced with the expiration of his visa, he asked Hansen what to do. Hansen advised him to stay. Once you're in the program, Hansen explained, you're safe. Immigration cannot touch you. Believing that citizenship was around the corner, Nailadi took Hansen's advice and remained in the country unlawfully. 
Hansen peddled his scam to other non-citizens, too. After hearing about the program from their pastor, one husband and wife met with Hansen and wrote him a check for $9,000, initially saved for a payment on a house in Mexico, so that they could participate. Another non-citizen paid Hansen out of savings he had accumulated over 21 years as a house painter. Still others borrowed from relatives and friends. All told, Hansen lured over 450 non-citizens into his program, and he raked in nearly $2 million as a result. The United States charged Hansen with, among other crimes, violations of Section 1324A1A4. That clause forbids encouraging or inducing an alien to come to, enter, or reside in the United States, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that such coming to, entry, or residence is or will be in violation of law. In addition to convicting him under Clause 4, the jury found that Hansen had acted for the purpose of private financial gain, triggering a higher maximum penalty. After the verdict came in, Hansen saw a potential way out. Another case involving Section 1324A1A4, United States v. Sinanang Smith, was pending before the Ninth Circuit, which had sua sponte raised the question whether the clause was an unconstitutionally overbroad restriction of speech. Taking his cue from Sinanang Smith, Hansen moved to dismiss the Clause 4 charges on First Amendment overbreadth grounds. The district court rejected Hansen's argument and sentenced him. While Hansen's appeal was pending, the Ninth Circuit held in Senenang Smith that Clause 4 is unconstitutionally overbroad. That holding was short-lived. We vacated the judgment, explaining that the panel's choice to inject the overbreadth issue into the appeal and appoint Amiki to argue it departed so drastically from the principle of party presentation as to constitute an abuse of discretion. On remand, limited to the arguments that Sinanang Smith had actually made, the Ninth Circuit affirmed her convictions. But Hansen's appeal was waiting in the wings, giving the Ninth Circuit a second chance to address the overbreadth question. It reprised its original holding in Sinanang Smith. As in Sinanang Smith, the Ninth Circuit focused on whether Clause 4 is a narrow prohibition covering solicitation and facilitation of illegal conduct or a sweeping ban that would pull in statements or conduct that are likely repeated countless times across the country every day. It adopted the latter interpretation, asserting that Clause 4 criminalizes speech such as encouraging an undocumented immigrant to take shelter during a natural disaster, advising an undocumented immigrant about available social services, telling a tourist that she is unlikely to face serious consequences if she overstays her tourist visa, or providing certain legal advice to undocumented immigrants. Concluding that Clause 4 covers an alarming amount of protected speech relative to its narrow, legitimate sweep, 
the Ninth Circuit held the provision facially overbroad. The Ninth Circuit denied the government's petition for rehearing on Bonk over the dissent of nine judges. Judge Bumate, who wrote the principal dissent, attributed the panel's overbreadth concern to a misreading of the statute. Correctly interpreted, he explained, Clause 4 reaches only criminal solicitation and aiding and abetting. On that reading, the provision raises no overbreadth problem because even if Section 1324A1A4 somehow reaches protected speech, that reach is far outweighed by the provision's broad legitimate sweep. We granted certiorari. Part 2 The First Amendment provides that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Wisely, Hansen does not claim that the First Amendment protects the communications for which he was prosecuted. Instead, he raises an overbreadth challenge. He argues that Clause 4 punishes so much protected speech that it cannot be applied to anyone, including him. An overbreadth challenge is unusual. For one thing, litigants typically lack standing to assert the constitutional rights of third parties. For another, litigants mounting a facial challenge to a statute normally must establish that no set of circumstances exists under which the statute would be valid. Breaking from both of these rules, the overbreadth doctrine instructs a court to hold a statute facially unconstitutional even though it has lawful applications, and even at the behest of someone to whom the statute can be lawfully applied. We have justified this doctrine on the ground that it provides breathing room for free expression. Overbroad laws may deter or chill constitutionally protected speech, and if would-be speakers remain silent, society would lose their contributions to the marketplace of ideas. To guard against those harms, the overbreadth doctrine allows a litigant, even an undeserving one, to vindicate the rights of the silenced, as well as society's broader interest in hearing them speak. If the challenger demonstrates that the statute prohibits a substantial amount of protected speech relative to its plainly legitimate sweep, then society's interest in free expression outweighs its interest in the statute's lawful applications, and a court will hold the law facially invalid. Because it destroys some good along with the bad, invalidation for overbreadth is strong medicine that is not to be casually employed. To justify facial invalidation, a law's unconstitutional applications must be realistic, not fanciful, and their number must be substantially disproportionate to the statute's lawful sweep. In the absence of a lopsided ratio, courts must handle unconstitutional applications as they usually do, case by case. Part 3 Section A To judge whether a statute is overbroad, we must first determine what it covers. Recall that Section 1324A1A4 
makes it unlawful to encourage or induce an alien to come to, enter, or reside in the United States, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that such coming to, entry, or residence is or will be in violation of law. The issue is whether Congress used encourage and induce as terms of art, referring to criminal solicitation and facilitation, thus capturing only a narrow band of speech, or instead as those terms are used in everyday conversation, thus encompassing a broader swath. An overbreath challenge obviously has better odds on the latter view. 1. We start with some background on solicitation and facilitation. Criminal solicitation is the intentional encouragement of an unlawful act. Facilitation, also called aiding and abetting, is the provision of assistance to a wrongdoer with the intent to further an offense's commission. While the crime of solicitation is complete as soon as the encouragement occurs, liability for aiding and abetting requires that a wrongful act be carried out. Neither solicitation nor facilitation requires lending physical aid. For both, words may be enough. Both require an intent to bring about a particular unlawful act. And both are long-standing criminal theories targeting those who support the crimes of a principal wrongdoer. The terms encourage and induce are among the most common verbs used to denote solicitation and facilitation. In fact, their criminal law usage dates back hundreds of years. A prominent early American legal dictionary, for instance, defines abet as to encourage or set another on to commit a crime. Other sources agree. This pattern is on display in the Federal Criminal Code, which for over a century has punished one who induces a crime as a principal. The government offers other examples as well. The ban on soliciting a crime of violence penalizes those who solicit, command, induce, or otherwise endeavor to persuade another person to engage in the unlawful conduct. Federal law also criminalizes persuading, inducing, enticing, or coercing one to engage in prostitution or other unlawful sexual activity involving interstate commerce. The model penal code echoes these formulations, defining solicitation as, in relevant part, commanding, encouraging, or requesting another person to engage in specific unlawful conduct. And the commentary to the Model Penal Code notes that similar prohibitions may employ other verbs such as induce. The use of both verbs to describe solicitation and facilitation is widespread in the states, too. Nevada considers every person who aided, abetted, counseled, encouraged, hired, commanded, induced, or procured an offense to be a principal. Arizona provides that one who commands, encourages, requests, or solicits another person to engage in specific conduct commits the offense of solicitation. 
and New Mexico imposes criminal liability on one who, with the intent for another to commit a crime, solicits, commands, requests, induces, or otherwise attempts to promote or facilitate the offense. These states are by no means outliers. Induce or encourage describes similar offenses in the criminal codes of every state. In sum, the use of encourage and induce to describe solicitation and facilitation is both long-standing and pervasive. And if 8 U.S.C. Section 1324 A1A4 refers to solicitation and facilitation as they are typically understood, an overbreadth challenge would be hard to sustain. 2. Hansen, like the Ninth Circuit, insists that Clause 4 uses, encourages, and induces in their ordinary rather than their specialized sense. While he offers definitions from multiple dictionaries, the terms are so familiar that two samples suffice. In ordinary parlance, induce means to lead on, to influence, to prevail on, to move by persuasion or influence. And encourage means to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. In Hansen's view, Clause 4's use of the bare words encourages or induces conveys these ordinary meanings. That encouragement can include aiding and abetting, he says, does not mean it is restricted to aiding and abetting. And because Clause 4 proscribes encouragement, full stop, it prohibits even an op-ed or public speech criticizing the immigration system and supporting the rights of long-term undocumented non-citizens to remain at least where the author or speaker knows that or recklessly disregards whether any of her readers or listeners are undocumented. If the statute reaches the many examples that Hansen posits, its applications to protected speech might swamp its lawful applications, rendering it vulnerable to an overbreadth challenge. This opinion has been divided into two parts, and we've just reached the end of the first. Next episode, we will pick up exactly where this episode left off. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.